Hello, everyone. DM Nathan here. Thanks for joining us once again for Reckless to Talk, our twice-monthly TTRPG interview show, where we interview great writers, streamers, DMs, GMs, and other creators in the space. Today, I am thrilled to introduce Kyle, the Dungeon Master of the Play Nerd Allies Twitch channel and co-founder for the Foundation for Inclusivity in Gaming. Kyle is a tremendous advocate for marginalized people and genders in the space through both his channel and the foundation. Each week, he streams wildly grand and flavorful actual play content, as well as weekly Magnificent Mythologies, where he and a guest talk about non-Western myths and build D&D adventures inspired by them live on air. The Foundation for Inclusivity in Gaming currently supports diverse streamers and creators by giving them platforms, sponsorships, and direct aid to ensure that they can keep creating. Links to the channel and to FIG will will be available in the episode description. Kyle is a phenomenally passionate person and storyteller, and I can safely say that comes through in this interview. He and I had an absolute blast, maybe sometimes too much of a blast, but I think you are going to love it. Finally, before I turn you over to Kyle and my shenanigans, wanted to give a quick note. The audio for this episode got a little wonky due to some Zoom syncing technical difficulties. Still totally great, still totally listenable, just not to our usual audio standards. So wanted to give a quick apology. Without any further ado, here is my chat with Kyle. Enjoy and see you on Tuesday. Why, hello, Kyle. Well, hi there. <laughs> what the hell is going on in here? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I promised that I would clean up the podcast before you got here. Yeah, um, you didn't. And, and that's, that's my fault. And I take I want you to wallow in it. your shame. <laughs> I want you to wallow in it forever. <laughs> good, good news. I, I have a lot of practice. So it'll be just a good. natural transition for me. Good. And <laughs> I understand that it's easily rectifiable. And I don't care. I want you to wallow in this forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, while I kind of settle into my yeah. like wallowing position, mm-hmm. you know, if if you can do both the the supervising of the wallowing and introducing yourself to our lovely listeners who may I know you, you may not know you, micromanaging me immediately. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I I will fall silent, and you can use you can use that window of time. To do whatever it is that you would like to do with that space, I guess. And as you weep silently in your shame. <laughs> yep, as I yeah, wallow. No, absolutely. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Reckless Attack. Mm-hmm. Fabulous podcast. Brought <laughs> by the delightful Nathan. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it today. Nathan will at some point be allowed to come and join us again. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm Kyle. It's lovely to meet you. I am the Dungeon Master uh, over at Play Nerd Allies, a fabulous Twitch channel where we do world building and adventure writing and actual plays and all that good stuff. I am also the co-founder of the Foundation for Inclusivity in Gaming, also known as FIG. So if I refer to FIG, I'm not referring to that. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> And just a, you know, horrific monster all around. <laughs> now that, Kyle, that is where I will break my vow of silence. Oh, dear. To disagree and stand up for oh. myself. 
in part because we are having this conversation remotely and there will be no immediate <laughs> physical comeuppance. Kyle, I am so excited for you to be here. You are, if you are a monster, Yay! then may we all be more monstrous in that way. Yeah. And I am just, just so excited to talk to you, Kyle. You like we were talking a little bit beforehand, but you were you were someone who stood out to me early on Twitter and was always just kind of like, oh, cool. What's that account? They're always they're up to they're talking with a lot of people. A lot of seem a lot of people seem to know them and like them. And what are they up to? And and I you raised your hands once to be like, hey, I'll I'll talk to you on your show. And then I got <laughs> to know you even more and see what you were doing. And I was like. Wait, do, do, does Kyle still want to be on the show, even though Kyle is doing all of these other things? Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, so I'm gonna need you to check your your shame spiral <laughs> over there. Like it's, it is uh, only you're... to express that I am I am just so thrilled to to have you here because you you do oh, so much for so here. many people and you know and and have great ideas and great perspectives that I'm really excited to delve into. And I think a lot of people will be really excited to hear. Yay! <laughs> so first, as we often do around here, and as many as, as many of these tabletop role-playing game podcasts like to start with, I'd like to, I'd like to, 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 you know, fade into that flashback kind of, uh, you know, Vaseline over the camera yeah. angle. How did you get started? into the tabletop role-playing game world and D&D and, you know, where did that, that begin for you? I think to answer that, I'll have to ask a few questions of my own. So first Ooh. of all, what is D&D? &D? Oh, oh. um, and <laughs> what is, play? what is, what, what is, is yeah, what is tabletop or is this a, some new thing that you kids are doing. <laughs> well, uh, once again, what I would say is I I leave that what I leave that to you to oh. define. You know, oh. I once again oh Dungeons will go and back to my wallowing oh. pile and be like, I don't know what kind of D and D would you like to talk about, Kyle? What kind of is, tabletop role playing no. games would you like to talk about, or TTRPG, I, whatever that means to you? Um, I started I, I started when I was like a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, so in um, long ago in Victorian England, <laughs> after I would get done at the factory as a 10 year old, yep. um, I would then head off to school, um, after your 10 then, hour shift yeah, as the, absolutely. as the longest tenured child worker. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was 10 years old for about 20 years. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> now I, like, I, I picked it up in the eighties and I started with AD and D mm -hmm. I started doing D and D when you would get beat up for doing D and D mm -hmm. like being Which was like any time before, like 10 years ago, basically. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. And weirdly enough, like being gay was secondary to playing <laughs> D and D like I would get beat up for doing D and D first and then <laughs> they'd come back around again yeah mm -hmm. when they hit the gay guys yeah <laughs> so it was it was definitely formative for me and it's like it introduced me to just the concept of storytelling mm -hmm. in general which i will forever be grateful for mm -hmm. and by like when it comes to sort of like fantasy and stuff like that like it was my huge formative books were like Wheel of Time was the big one, you know, Tolkien, mm -hmm. all of that. I've always liked huge epic stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I like, I like something 
the where it starts out, you think that not, you know, you think it's going to be one thing, and it mm-hmm. turns out to be, yep, pure <laughs> insanity. You know, it is not going to be a nice tale about hobbits just growing weed yeah. and eating food in their holes. Yeah, no. no. And you, and I think that that is incredibly important for people to experience because it breaks them out of their concept of reality. Mm. It shows them that there is something more, that subversive style of writing um, shows them that there's something more, not only outside themselves, but inside too. It Mm. forces them to reevaluate the way that they feel about things. And I think that's incredibly important. And it's, when I'm, when I'm DMing, it's something that I love putting into my, into yeah. my games, mm-hmm. that moment right. where the players are all like, what? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, have, I have personally, and I have not, I've watched a good handful of your streams and I, have, I feel like I have witnessed an inordinate amount of those yes. based on the hours per watched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, I like my players to, if, if after combat, my players aren't physically out of breath <laughs> i don't feel like i did the comment yeah right. hasn't yeah. hasn't hit your your threshold of success yeah, no no, <laughs> no there's i and i feel like it's i feel like that's where beautiful art lies is like on the border of abuse yes <laughs> i am i am i am a a forsworn dm who who is like i i love you and i love your characters so much that I I will cause them pain. Yeah. They will, will triumph. Them all. They will have great stories. There will be there will be resolution. There will be all the but like yeah. I am I am going to bring back that tragic person from your backstory and I will make yeah. you sad. Yeah. But for good Absolutely. for good. But ugh. yeah, no, I like I will fuck with family members. <laughs> I will mm-hmm. my my favorite moment early on in my streaming career before I sort of really understood how things work <laughs> um but or who and this is important for dms out there too is figuring out who should be at your table mm, oh god yes you know like yes. that's a thing like not every player mm-hmm. is right for every dm mm-hmm. and not every dm is right for every player and there are sometimes when you have players at your table and you're like you should not be here <laughs> um, you're welcome elsewhere but this yeah, should not absolutely. this is not how it should be for us <laughs> i wish you the best mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Please go in in all the peace and glory that, that can <laughs> that can accompany you. There was this moment where I had decided um, that I was going to kill my my cast because there was a whole thing in our um, in the world's lore mm-hmm. where it had been cut off from the multiverse for a long time, and so there's uh, because they were cut off from all the different places that your soul might go in oh. the outer planes. They, a creature had been created called the ferryman and the ferryman had created all of these reapers. And there was one reaper in each country and they were autonomous individuals. Um, and later on, you find out this whole crazy shit about how they were created. Of course, and all that kind of stuff. have to, are we even playing There's, D&D if you, if there isn't yeah, crazy backstories yeah. to uncover? No, it's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's boring. D&D. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's no wrong way a, to play D&D, thing. but that's a wrong way. Yeah. Well, well my thing is like, it's not wrong, D D. It's just boring. <laughs> like, like this. There's sure do it at your home table. That's fine. Do not put it on a screen. <laughs> um, so what the reapers would do is the reapers would 
um, like go find every corpse in their country and they would mark the corpse so that the ferryman could find them. And the ferryman would then, he, he knew a very s- specific spot, this tiny area where you could mm-hmm. escape the world. And the ferryman was the only one that knew where it was. And so the ferryman would transport the souls. So at the beginning of the campaign, this thing happens and it opens the world up to the multiverse. And suddenly there's necromancy now because you can contact the negative energy mm-hmm. plane. There's healing because you can contact the positive energy plane. Oh, cool. There's summoning like because you can, you yeah. know, contact Feywild. So there's certain things like transmutation and stuff like that that have been studied for a thousand years. And there's these new things that like Ooh, no one has been able to do for a while. So the ferryman was no longer needed. And it turns out that it was created by the goddess of love, Sune. And Sune wanted to repurpose the energy that she had put into the ferryman. And so she called the adventurers to Arborea, but she couldn't really figure out how to just call them. Um, (laughs) Mm. And so Mm. she sent, (laughs) she sent a bunch of monsters to kill Mm -hmm. them all Mm -hmm. so that she could then send the ferryman to bring them to Arborea. Classic goddess Uh, of love tactics. Yeah. Absolutely. For those of you who are who are listening to more recent podcasts, there's or, or parts <laughs> of the adventure or Plater Allies will know that um recently Sune did in fact have a breakdown. Uh she has we play with something in our in our world called planar touchstones, which mm-hmm. are they are things that you can attune to. Uh so they're not physical items, they're places in the multiverse that are very powerful. And when you attune to them, you get these crazy powers. There's, but you like the only way to unattune is to die. And there's all these weird secrets about the touchstones and if like what's going to happen when all the touchstones are discovered and activated and all that kind of stuff. So now there's all these people running around the multiverse trying to kill all the people that are attuned to touchstones. They can take the touchstones. So, anyway, one of the touchstones is the Fountain of Youth, which is in Sune's garden in Arborea. Um, and recently there was a whole thing where. Glassy and Loth were having a fight, and Loth killed Glassy and turned into a bracelet. And then Sune cut off Loth's arm and took the <laughs> bracelet for herself, and it corrupted her. Um, and then there was a whole thing which ended in us having to do, because my players are insane, having to do a heist episode in the middle of a live musical. I saw um, that. Yep. I saw bits of that. Yeah. So <laughs> that was quite interesting. <laughs> having to plan for that as DM was. <laughs> <laughs> new and exciting <laughs> uh, there's uh but glassy's bracelet gets tossed in the fountain of youth glassia then gets reformed in the fountain of youth and you discover that um during the dawn war uh asmodeus actually tore away part of sune's energy um and created glassia as his daughter in order to take part of love in the universe and utilize it for evil. So Glacia and Sune are actually part of the same being. And when Glacia gets reformed in the fountain of youth, suddenly Sune gains all that power back. And now Sune is not just the sweet, kind goddess of love. She's also the furious goddess of love and the manipulative goddess of love. Mm. In addition to all the other, so right. she's now the other fully, bits the goddess of love, all of the aspects of love, both gentle and terrific. And she's now one of the most powerful gods in the multiverse. Kyle, 
I, I, I wish that this were not an audio medium <laughs> because the people deserve to have seen the glee that you just told that story with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. they can watching your stream when you play, but yeah. When I, when I tell ridiculous stories like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you you make a lot of content. <laughs> you, it may not surprise you to learn you make a lot of content. Uh, I, try, I, guess I, try, I do what I can. For other people, <laughs> I guess, contextually. <laughs> but but yeah, so much of it is, is, like you said, is storytelling and working with other people to make stories and, and that kind of stuff. What are the kind of stories that you like creating either either as a as a dm or as someone running a game and collaborating with people or on your mythology streams where it's just you and someone else or if you're yeah. do things on the side what 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 do you like exploring and and what kind of vibes do you like and what do you like to put in well so the first thing is i'm keenly aware of the fact that i'm streaming which mm -hmm. means that oh, they sure first and foremost have to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. Like the, that is the thing that we are doing. It is while everybody wants to pretend that they are critical role and we're just a bunch of friends having fun. That is a lie. The critical role has told for years. <laughs> yes. They all knew each other because they were all professional voice actors. And that circle is very small in DC. There's like seven of them you know? <laughs> <laughs> for all the work. So they all knew each other and they were given like a million dollar budget by Geek and Sundry, you know, <laughs> to do this thing. And it became incredibly successful when the pandemic locked everything down and just started the whole thing. I mean, they got, they started getting successful before that, but that's when really like everything went crazy for Critical Role. Because, you know, then people had 400 hours <laughs> to spend listening to Or to, I don't know, cre create a podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. for example Absolutely. who's to well, say that's, that's one of the things that i find really interesting is that we're now in the third generation yes. of the ttrpg scene so yeah, your first generation is everything up to when critical role blew up right mm -hmm. and the people that have been doing this for 10 plus years and then pandemic hits and suddenly you've got the second generation where none of us would be here without critical role please do not do not think that I am anti-critical role. I love what they do. I think they are absolutely amazing. And they created the space for um, us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. They like, they they the just killed this field. Already in this interview show, who have all said, even if they don't listen anymore, that like someone told me about critical role and I watched it and that was where I started. You know, like yeah. that is so many people, and it's so like yeah so true and universal and it's it's really fascinating yeah well and they so they created the audience for all of us all the people that are listening to this right now critical role laid that foundation and then there was about two years two and a half years where the second generation happened where it was people that essentially were stuck inside or for some other reason decided that they wanted to do this and for me and a lot of the people that I work with, it was literally a way to save our fucking lives because we <laughs> were experiencing massive depression. And this was a way to like let out aggression and make real connections with people yes. and tell amazing stories and just release all of that emotional tension that we were all experiencing because we were stuck inside in this existential crisis of a pandemic that no one knew how to deal with. And of course, 
the people in the world that were in charge of this all fucked up, you know? So <laughs> not only are you, yeah, not only are you in the middle of a goddamn pandemic, you are in the middle of a second existential crisis where you realize you have no power, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So it totally makes sense that people started turning to a thing that is astonishingly therapeutic as vilified as it is. And it is not therapy, but it is therapeutic. Yep. I think it absolutely makes sense that the second generation grew out of that trauma. Right. And towards the end of 2021, you started seeing the fracturing of the second generation. And it was the people like as people started going back to work, listenership started going down, viewership started going down. And the people who were doing it because they got attention from it fell off <laughs> and because there's no money in it. <laughs> Correct. The currency is attention. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. There's um and the people that really loved it and wanted to turn it into something more than it currently is, they're the ones that are still here today. Then, and that's just over the last like five or six months, I've seen that change. Then you have um, the third generation, which happened after Vox Machina came out on Prime. Mm. The uh, audience has been expanded again. Mm-hmm. And now it's a whole bunch of people coming in not really knowing what's going on. And, but now getting to see a bunch of people who have had several years of experience in this, being able to help guide them to yeah. where they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I think that as far as the scene goes, it's really astonishing. And we are on the cusp of watching a bunch of new I think stars start to rise. Mm. And the the thing that I find most interesting about it is like, if you watch like actors or comedians or hosts or things like that, like at round tables where they're talking to other people in their industry, mm-hmm. you realize that nobody comes up alone. No God. Everybody yeah. has like a group, like, oh, we all mm-hmm. started in Chicago at the same time. Oh, we all yep. started in DC. We all started in Toronto. Yeah. Or bands, um, you know, classically being like yeah. a scene, right? Yeah. And I think we're starting to see that happen in the TTRPG space where yes. there right. are all of these people that are starting to sort of coalesce into the groups that are then going to be the support structures that are going to allow some people to pop up and then start bringing other people with them. So the scene, I think, is astonishing. That is, does not answer the question that you asked at that's, all. That's all right. We have editing. Um, it's wonderful. The, and it was, it, that was a, that was an incredible, <laughs> incredible, the thing. And I, I actually, I want to, we can come back to the first bit. So, so <laughs> you, you are someone who has forged a lot of connections in the, in the community through, through the actual plays that you're doing through certainly with all the streaming and with bringing people on and just interacting with people. What is, you know, kind of like, yeah, just like talking about the importance of that and kind of your perspective on, on not just making those connections, but also on, on how to kind of present yourself and how to comport yourself and how to be relatively, I guess, professional is an okay word, but, you know, professional in the sense of like, well, but that's, I think that's whatever, I think that's the thing is acting professionally, not, and 
I have a sort of a different take on professionalism because I've never worked in like corporate America, Mm -hmm. which is a very specific take on that. Like there are specific limits, there are specific dress, you know, there are ways to act and all that kind of stuff. And you've got HR and you've got this and that and the other thing. And there's just, (laughs) for me, I look at professionalism as a professional actor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was the, the number one thing that would be asked, like if you were sitting at a party and two directors are talking to each other and one of the directors asked the other about, what do you think about Kyle? They would not talk about, oh, we think he's talented Mm -hmm. or he's got a great voice. It's like, does he show up on time for rehearsals? Does he have his lines memorized? And is he easy to work with? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I concentrate on. Like everything, everything else can be dealt with. Everything else you can have a conversation about. but do I show up with the ability to do the things that need to be done? Mm-hmm. You know, do I show up with my character ready? Do I show up with a voice? Do I show up with a willingness to explore and have a delightful time? Sure. <laughs> but also, am I on time for meetings? Do I have to cancel them all the time? Like, you know, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. sometimes people have to cancel and that totally makes sense. Yep, I absolutely get it. I work with people where they have not made a single meeting that we've had on the calendar in a month. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this isn't someone that I want to work with because I'm now spending more time planning meetings with them than we have ever spent actually creating something fabulous or solving Mm -hmm. a problem. Ultimately it is a, what's the, what's the time commitment Mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to put in on this and what's the result going to be. Yeah. Time. Um, And I would imagine emotion and intellectual and like all, all the resources being spent on this. Yeah. So for me, that's what professionalism means. It's I get having a no spoons day, but Mm -hmm. if there are no spoons in your goddamn drawer, (laughs) like then I can't work with you. Mm -hmm. You I've had people tell me a half an hour before they were supposed to be on stream with me. I can't do it today. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll write you out of this episode. And they're like, no, we need to cancel. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> like, understand that this is not, this is not just about you. There mm-hmm. are like five other people at the table and there's all of the people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to turn this into something that's going to move forward. And if I just cancel an episode without warning, half of my viewership goes. And that's just a reality of the situation. So you're getting written out of this episode. It's fine. It's not like we're going to murder you in the yeah. episode and you will eat not your be body. Actively like, punished <laughs> in the episode for it. I will let you know everything that happened and we'll come up with a cute story about like you wandered off to do mm-hmm. this thing <laughs> and you came back with some cool information or something, you know, that's going to move the story forward. That's fine. But they continue to demand that I just had to cancel and it was one of those things where at that point then you politely let them know i can't work with you anymore like it's just i'm sorry this is desperately unprofessional (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's it seems like um it seems like it's basically about making sure everyone's on the same page or same level i guess of like commitment and understanding and well and and on the same level of communication yes where it is first of all it's not about you it's not about me either Mm-hmm. You know, it's about us. Yes. It's about all of us. <laughs> uh-huh. What's going on in this situation? What's happening? And what is the goal? And can we continue to get to the goal without you? And don't be bitter if we get to the goal without you. I have a lot of mental health issues. 
And I absolutely understand having to, you know, deal with all of that. Absolutely. But that's the thing. If you can't commit to the thing, stream or whatever, that's okay. You handle what you can handle, right? You you do what you need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That but you know also like let me know. Thing. Yeah. Let, let me know like like a little in advance. Yeah. And if, you're not, and if you're not able, if you're not able to commit, that is no problem. Yeah. But that's different, you know, that's different. Yeah. Um, and it's well, something and like, I cool. think that it's a little different for like on our on our channel because I know a lot of people were on their channel, it's literally just, hey, we're just hanging out and we're playing and we happen to have a camera on. Great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fabulous. If everybody needs to like say bye, you know, on a day, doesn't really matter because you don't care about the audience. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're actively trying to build something, then and I let people know I'm like, we are currently semi-professional and we want to get to professional. Like mm-hmm. that's the aim mm-hmm. that we are heading for. And here's the trajectory and here's the roadmap. And we're gonna do these things. And expectation no. management, right? Of being like, yeah. hey, here's the expectations. Here's what here's what we all need again, but with compassion, with understanding, absolutely, with humanity, but also yeah. by but signing also up for with, this. Here's where yeah, we're going with directness. Like yeah. it's I'm I'm a huge fan of. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna set the expectations. I'm gonna let you know what's going on, mm-hmm. and then if you break those expectations, we'll have a conversation about mm-hmm. it, and I will let you know that you broke the expectations, and we'll talk about what the repercussions are. You know, and typically it's like okay, the repercussion is you have to talk to me about making sure that we're not going to do this again. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's that's the way that normally goes. And normally it doesn't go past that. This is definitely an outlier. Right. You know, but but it's, it's, it's something that I'm starting to see a little more in the space where there's a lot of people who feel entitled mm-hmm. to your time and to your energy and yeah. to your products. Like, um, and it's something that I'm, I'm definitely trying to help sort of breed out of the space where it's no one is entitled to your time no, right. or your talent mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. There is, you don't owe it to anybody. No. And especially having dealt with several of the abusers in our space is one of those where I'm like, if anyone starts demanding your time, mm-hmm. tell them to fuck right <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like unacceptable. Yep. No, 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 no. So yeah, it's, I think that everybody, everybody who's been at my tables, delightful. Love them. Not everybody worked as a player at my tables. Mm-hmm. How it works. Totally it's, okay. It's people, right? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you are, you know, semi-professional, aiming to professional, right? And you have a lot of a very specific products and pipelines and content streams and all that kind of stuff. And also... You have a nonprofit that you're that is baked into all of this. So, so I'm kind of curious, just generally, how do you view your and by your I mean kind of the general footprint or you specifically? Um, how do you kind of view where you're at right now, and where where is it that you'd like to go? So the dream. Here we go. The dream, honestly, would be for the foundation to absorb everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that it's all mm-hmm. one entity and all the things that we are doing totally. are going to be um, are, are going to be part of that. Um, so that the money that comes in 
through the foundation, can support the people that work for the foundation, but then immediately can go back into our community. And this is mm-hmm. one of the things I said at the foundation specifically, so that it wouldn't be a situation where I'm absorbing money from the community and then putting it somewhere else. I'm absorbing money from the community and then reinvesting it directly mm-hmm. into the community. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, the dollars that come in are going to someone you probably know <laughs> yeah. to make sure that they can stay here in our space because the whole point is to decolonize the TTRPG space. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to give people of color and alphabet mafia people mm-hmm. a voice with no restrictions. Mm-hmm. One of our future endeavors is going to be doing scholarships where it's going to be like $5,000 up to $25,000 for streamers of color, Alpha Mafia streamers um, to help them deal with things like rent and bills and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um, that they might need to like make that jump into the professional realm so they can just concentrate on getting their audience bigger and to getting the sponsors that they need and all that kind of stuff without somebody standing behind them and saying, so I feel like our customers probably don't really like the way that you're saying this thing. And maybe if you could just calm down with that, because that's a form of colonization. That's a Mm. sponsor colonizing a stream Mm. and saying, Mm -hmm. essentially, my white peeps um, are not comfortable with the way that you you are describing race or gender or whatever else you're talking about. And we don't want this to represent our brand. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. that's how a sponsor colonizes a stream. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's all about, okay, sure. <laughs> end of sentence. And that's the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's... I like the way, the way that I've talked to people is I'm like, Hey, if we give you a scholarship, we are going to have to like create a line item budget uh, on like what we're giving this to you for. But it's, you know, it's things where I'm like, if you need a new computer because you want to do editing and yours isn't strong enough, absolutely. If you, you know, want, you know, an ergonomic chair so that your back doesn't hurt, absolutely. If you need help paying your rent or paying your bills, absolutely. If the only thing that gets you through the day is a glass of fucking wine, we will get you a case of Sauvignon Blanc. (laughs) I will put it in the line item budget as a consultation fee. That's fine. You know, it's just the saying yes and just being like, nope, we're here to decolonize, which means that. I'm not going to claim that I understand your experience or all the things that you need. So I'm just going to give you the thing that will help you move past this Mm -hmm. hurdle and you will use it. I have faith in you as an individual to utilize it in a way that is in fact going to move you forward in the space, Mm -hmm. which will then we will have fulfilled our goal Mm -hmm. at that point in keeping you in the space. That is what we want to do. Um, God, that's so lovely. Especially, I feel like there are so many creators who you know work their butts off, you know, and are so talented and thoughtful and all these other things. And you also know that they have to pay rent all the time and that they yeah. <laughs> like that there are so many, yeah. so many sucks on their energy, on their time, mm-hmm. and on their ability to do the cool shit we want them to do. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it's, wouldn't it be nice to just remove? Just a, a couple of the little the little walls in between them yeah. and being their awesome best creative selves. Yeah, and that's normally all it takes. Yeah, it, like most people don't need a million dollars. Most people need like a tiny little rent. bit of help to get where they need. <laughs> yeah, and it's normally it's not normally it's not even fucking rent. It's like yeah. I 
I'm short 200 bucks this month. I believe that. And knowing, you know, like it's, it's, it's knowing that and knowing that $200 can literally be the difference between keeping some of this face or having to go yeah. get a second job mm-hmm. so that you can pay that $200 and then pay for the gas to get to your second job and then stay at the second job until you just can't function anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like, absolutely. I know that drill. I used to have 17 hour days, Ugh. seven days a week, <laughs> you know, and it was just brutal. It tough was to be, and tough to be creative, I would imagine, and perform Absolutely. and to write and to do all the things that is required of being in the TTRPG space. <laughs> yeah. So my dream at this point would be, and I do have a plan to get there. It is my, my dream is to turn this into a multi-million dollar foundation where we can support a small staff mm-hmm. and create opportunities over and over and over again for creators that are not only great creators, but are also community builders, because mm-hmm. those are the people that are yeah. going to not only lift themselves up, but are then going mm-hmm. to spend their time and energy to lift all the other people up. Absolutely. Um, creating exponentially more opportunities than we could provide. And everything that we do is designed to have reverberations and repercussions that increase the value of every dollar yeah. that goes into the foundation. So what I'm working on right now is finding some larger sponsors um, and taking their money until we have enough <laughs> to actually purchase a commercial spot to become the sponsor for a critical role show. Mm. Because at that point, when we have enough, we will set up like a Kickstarter or we will set up something like that. And it has been shown that if you can get kids, if you can get them to sponsor you, you'll get at least a half a million dollars from that thing, right? And that would be enough to change the lives of everybody who's involved already in the foundation and allow us to really start yeah. doing our mission like we want to. Well. So that's a perfect opportunity. We we haven't even really talked about the foundation oh, <laughs> for inclusivity yeah, yeah. gaming yet. Yeah. And so, like, let's let's take that even further step back. But the the elevator pitch and and what what is the foundation? Absolutely. And what's what's it, it's at least its current mission? Knowing yeah. the big plan mission that that you've you've already talked a little bit about. So the mission will always be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the foundation for inclusivity in gaming. Delight, decode, <laughs> decolonize. In that order. Yes. <laughs> Our job is to create delightful content to help decode the content that already exists and then help decolonize the entire space. So we started, we're only about three months old at this yeah, point. I remember um, I, I was even in the space and I am very yeah. new to the space, but I remember it being it launching and all the, you know, all the kind of exciting activity around that. So yeah. Yes. Nice and fresh. So we actually did, <laughs> we actually did our first stream at the beginning of February. And what it is, is we, we decided that we would do a four step launch over the course of two years. So the first step is the magnificent mythology streams. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is we bring on a creator of color. And we talk to them about their culture for an hour. And then we actually write a full one-shot adventure. Yeah. In the next over the course of the next two hours (laughs) on stream. 
the reason that we do that is for several reasons. One of them is that there are a lot of creators of color out there who don't have their name out anywhere. Um, and what we'll do is once we have written this adventure, um, and because we do not believe in people coming and educating us for free, we want to make sure that while the foundation currently is still very small and we cannot afford to like pay people a bunch of money to just show up, the way that we pay them is we pay for the art that's going to go into the adventure, which is normally somewhere between $300 and $500. Mm-hmm. And then we pay for the for laying out the whole thing, putting in the legalese, editing it all, all of that good stuff. So that there is, at the end of the day, a fabulous, professional, beautiful product um, that goes on DMs Guild or on Drive-Thru RPG on our publisher's site so that immediately it gets uplifted because it's on a site with things that are platinum sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gets more visibility. And then we provide support through social media and things like that to help it sell. And 100% of the intellectual property and 100% of the profits go to the creator of color. So while I am a co-writer on each of these and I am credited, I will never get a penny from any of these things. Uh, there's, which there, there's definitely the capitalist in me who's very sad about that, but <laughs> it so is goes. absolutely worth it, yeah. you know, to be able to move things forward in a real way. And there's a bunch of reasons that we decided to do that. Number one, it's affordable. We can do fundraisers monthly where we will normally make enough money to actually pay for everything for the next month. Um, we don't really make any more than that, but it's enough mm-hmm. to cover that. Secondly, it is, like I said, the ability for someone to get become a published author. So now they have more social cachet. They can put on their, on their cards, on their Twitter, all that kind of stuff, published on DM Skilled, published on DriveThruRPG. Mm-hmm. Then thirdly, it is a way to get non-Western themes into the brains of Western players to help open that up subversively by presenting it as a typical adventure um but none of them are they are all created (laughs) from fabulous points of view that are non-western so we only do non-european mythologies and stories because wizards of the coast love wizards wizards is great they do an enormous amount for the community And while they don't do everything right, they do try to fix their mistakes. And I absolutely applaud them for that. But they've got all European mythologies covered. Yes. There's a saturated space, we shall say. There's, and every time they've sort of tried to, I'm very interested to see what they do with the Radiant Citadel because Mm -hmm. it was written by all, all by by people of color. Um, By the way, the first mythology stream that we did was with Bashir Gauss who is currently, like, I'm hoping that when this comes out, he will still be a player in my Wednesday campaign. (laughs) He's got no reason to leave. Um, There is, but Bashir Gauss is one of the authors of um, The Radiant Citadel. And now he is our, he was our very first who did this with us, um, creating something called A Stormy Wedding. And it's just, it's delightful. You can absolutely go purchase it over on uh, Drive Through RPG. 
uh, so, on the Realm Warp Media page. So I've been curious for for these for these streams because they I love tuning into them. They are so fascinating um, and it's so interesting to hear the mythology. The basic structure is essentially per, creator comes on tells the story that they kind of wanted to focus on. You ask a lot of really interesting, thought-provoking questions and baseline questions, and then bam, you guys are off and you are creating a whole ass adventure from there. So I, I was curious, kind of, first of all, how how much do you know going in as, as the host of the Nothing. show? I, and I, I don't want to know anything. That's always what it seemed like, which yeah. is is so fun and interesting. Well, a big a big part of it is that I don't want to I don't want to enter the space as an authority. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't yeah. want to be stepping totally. in and being like, oh well, actually, did you know? Yeah. <laughs> because the best that I could come in as is as an academic. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and this person is bringing their culture to me, and mm-hmm. if I don't know anything about it. When they start talking to me about it, I can then respond with real thoughts yeah. and real emotions and see how does this actually hit me? How does this make me feel? Okay, cool. That would be interesting in this kind of story. Now let's uh-huh. find out what are all the different things that I need to look out for as somebody who is white presenting you know, who's never had to live in a darker skin, you know, and does not have that lived experience. Um, as someone coming from that position mm-hmm. of privilege, what are the things that I, what tropes might I fall into? Um, what what things, what assumptions might I make about these things that other people who are white might fall into as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the reasons that during the streams, I I, I try to check in pretty regularly with yeah. with my co-authors about, hey, will this work or is this going to be funky? Is yeah. this? And I think every stream, there's been something that I've wanted to do where they're like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, not that. And I'm just like, oh, okay, no, I get it. Mm-hmm. And it takes me a minute because I'm coming not from that culture. Yeah, but. For me, I think that it's also, these streams are also a way to model good ally behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's always really stood out to me the way you really approach these sort of conversations and how, how open you are and how admitting you are. It's like, Hey, so like, am I understanding this right? Or like, Ooh, what does this mean? Or like in, in, in your culture, how does this fit in? Um, And how, how curious and unafraid of asking really basic or foundational, I guess, maybe is the better yeah. question or better word questions. Um, and yeah, I think I've always thought that, that you, you've always struck me at least as a, as also a, a white viewer as approaching it in a very interesting, open way. I think that all stories are better if you don't know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't figured out how the story ends, what it means is that you get to have more fun getting to the end of that story. And when I'm creating a story, one of the first things I think about is how's a player going to react to this? Yes, totally. What's, you know, what's this going to be like for them? Yeah. Is there going to be a moment somewhere in the story where the player's like, what? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's, um, and I feel like in each of the stories that we've created, there's absolutely 
that moment. And it's mm-hmm. been it's been interesting because we've had on like some people just show up with this like like a story from their life or a myth that they love. And then others will show up with like, okay, so I wrote this three, this three-part adventure, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, throw it away. Essentially. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, but so what <laughs> I had written down here is I don't care. Like there's nope. We are now in, and this is a big thing yeah. for me, is we're we are in a collaborative space. Yeah. It's and all anytime you decide that your story is more important, at that point, the the inspiration dries up. Mm-hmm. The collaboration starts falling apart. I've had people on who have essentially been like, oh, okay, okay, this is gonna be um, this is gonna be a story about blah. And I'm like, Absolutely, we can use that as foundation. Um, but this is, I guarantee you, uh, this is not going to be a story about blah. <laughs> this might like, be a story about the blah. Yeah. But our story you, may not be yeah. a story about blah. Yeah. You might think that that's how this is going to end. I guarantee you it is not. <laughs> so, so what are you looking for in those, like in the experience of hearing the story? What's kind of the mindset that you go in? Just because I can imagine, you know, I'm someone who enjoys myths and I'm sure a lot of other people yeah. out there do, or taking any story and adapting it, you know, whether it is from a, from a culture that you're learning about or your own culture or just from a movie or whatever. Um, how do you, what kind of mindset and what priorities do you have as you're kind of sitting down to begin that conversation and that journey live on stream with this person? For me, a big part of it is finding the human truth mm-hmm. in what's going on. Um, and it's like the, the one, as we are recording this, the one that I just finished was with um, A Ghost of Eli. So and it was all was about really Hawaiian culture. And it is, you know, I am, as somebody that was raised in Western culture, one of the things that I'm so used to in a story is there has to be violence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there has to be that, that conflict in a story or the story isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I keep learning over and over again is that most cultures don't have that need. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That stories can be, that the conflict can be internal. The lesson can be about a non-Disneyfied version yeah. <laughs> of uh-huh. learning uh-huh. your own strengths or gaining your own experiences. Mm-hmm. And that, and just how difficult that can be and how dangerous Mm -hmm. that can be, but that the rewards are astonishing when you actually get there. So typically what I will do is try to find out really sort of psychologically what is at the heart of this story. Is this a story about love and separation? Is this a tragedy about that? Or is this a parable about the importance of, you know, community and resource Mm -hmm. sharing? Mm -hmm. Like what is, what really is this? Because that absolutely changes Mm -hmm. the story and it alters the way that you write it or that you need to write it so that you are honoring the culture that you're writing about instead of colonizing the culture that you're writing about. Understanding um, that underlying the meaning behind it. And yeah, and I am 
I've got a big personality and I've got a lot of ideas. So, <laughs> um, so it's, it's really important for me to make sure that I'm stepping back and checking in like, oh my mm-hmm. God, what if we did this? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then if they say no, you just don't do it and you don't hold on to it. No and bitch and moan about the fact that we didn't get to do this thing, <laughs> cool thing or whatever. You know, yeah. it's which I've found normally comes from a place of, thinking that this is the last good idea you're ever going to have. Oh, uh, yes. That is, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I rail, I rail against specifically that all the time. Like in all, anytime anyone has ever asked like, Oh, what's your DMing advice is like, you will always have more ideas. Like mm-hmm. if you need to scrap one. If you need to file yeah. it away, if you need to Absolutely. let it go entirely, if you need, yeah. if you're worried about like, Oh, I got to hold on to my cool ideas for yeah. later. Like, Nope. You'll, you'll come up with more cool shit. Don't worry about it. Just throw yeah. it out there. Don't yeah, use it or whatever. Fine. It'll be fine. And for me, like the thing is don't break your own lore. Mm. Like once you have established something yes. as canon, make sure that that stays canon because stories are always more interesting. Yeah. If there's real consequences, mm-hmm. you know, um, but also your players will get more and more ca- if you have the right kind of players, there are some players yeah. that will just bitch and moan if you don't let them do what they want. <laughs> and well, I'm sure there's a table for you. It is not my table. You can go find uh, your own table where you're, you know, you guys are just, yeah, absolutely. Where, yeah, where the DM is literally there to just like give you cool toys yep. and exactly. let you beat up the monsters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If that's your table, that's fine. That mm-hmm. is not my table. I'm a firm believer that, you know, when you put obstacles in someone's way they will find more and more creative ways yeah to get around those obstacles and my players never fail to astonish me. well yeah no, i did have one <laughs> player that definitely failed to astonish me um <laughs> generally there is generally <laughs> generally they're delightful i did quick, quick random side story i actually had a player just say no to a campaign so I, we had set this whole thing up. I won't go into like major details or anything, but we'd set this whole thing up where like the first episode was delightful. And this person who was going to be joining the party turns out to be the big bad and tries to kill awesome. everybody by the Great. end of the episode. Yep. And everybody was, I, and I loved this because we had planned like, here are all of the fucking breadcrumbs that we are going to leave to let you know, here's the trail. Here's how, yep. This is the big bad. Got the Here's dominoes. It's all coming together. This is Don't the worry. big bad. Yep. <laughs> Please understand. This is the big bad. Like, and it turns into like big neon signs. Yep. This is the big bad. There's cheerleaders you know, out front. Nobody waving pom poms. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody got it. Ain't that, so, isn't that the DM <laughs> conundrum? You know, there's well, always. No, it was great because then I got to try to kill my party yes. with someone that they trusted. <laughs> so that's lovely. So they. So it was delightful. And then the next episode, one of the players started getting super shitty. And it was, I was like, what is going on here? About, about the understand. betrayal and the, the, the twist. And, Not and just the, the betrayal, but, but just the fact that like they weren't getting the things that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it's, it was a player trying to be smarter than the DM. Um, and my thing is like, I'm not always the smartest person in the room, but when I'm DMing, I'm the person that has the most information in the room. Yeah. So I have far more, uh, so much information that you do not have yet so that there are secrets you can discover and there are things that you can do and new things to find out. Um, And 
they were getting super shitty about it. And they just said, nope, we're going to go back. going to go back home. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? We're, <laughs> we're in a street right now. <laughs> like, there's an adventure. And I'm 100% there. Like, if it doesn't go the way I think it will, totally. I would absolutely improvise a yeah. crazy, fabulous adventure for you. Um, but just but. saying... <laughs> No, thank you, Mr. GM. Especially we're gonna go home live on stream with no yeah. well, forewarning, and and it, no nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like we're gonna teleport back to home base. Okay, and I tried to create situations where they couldn't. Nope, we're getting around you. We're going back home. I'm like, okay, and I literally <laughs> were just like clicking on my Google Doc that had like the outline of the adventure with the names of NPCs and the rewards and. The sort of all the different like things uh-huh. that could all have the happened. branches, the, yeah, the details, just, the moments, and, and clicking the X on that <laughs> and just being like, that okay, for later, never mind. I guess. And uh, it was, yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me, that was it was so upsetting for me because it was the first time that a player essentially had said to me. Let me preface this by saying I believe that D&D is, at its heart, a collaborative storytelling process. Mm -hmm. That we are all collaborating in the moment to tell an amazing story. And that includes all the players and the DM. You know, everybody's working together. Everybody should be listening to each other. Everybody should be creating with each other and bouncing off each other and having fun creating this, even if what you're creating is dark and scary or something like that, it's still at its heart fun to tell the story. Yeah. Um, And when somebody essentially says to you, you are no longer a collaborator here. Yeah. Like you, you do not get to participate in this storytelling process. Mm -hmm. I I am now going to take (laughs) a brutal, but accurate, I think way to put it. Yeah, there is, it is, it is devastating. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did not have a choice in the Mm -hmm. matter because I'm on stream and I have to go with it and that's okay. And it's just one of those things where obviously this person is not ever going to be my table again, you know, Um, but I wish them well, like they wanted a different kind of game than I had at my table. And I thought that I had explained what kind of game we play, but apparently I had not done a good enough job of doing that. And so Yeah, it's, I think the most important part of all of it is just ensuring that you are, in fact, having fun. Yeah. Because the minute, the only way to lose at D&D is to not have fun. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to lose this game. Yep, absolutely. And... If you're getting upset about something, it's one of the reasons that I love safety tools. Like if something's really upsetting you, you can just X card it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. done. It's happened in my streams before. Like I had someone who was arachnophobic and I didn't know that, you know, it hadn't come up and just like, nope, we had a whole scene X carded done. Great. Move on. That did not happen. Here's the thing that happened instead, you know, and it's totally fine. I don't need to hold on to this thing <laughs> through your trauma. You know, like right. I don't yeah. 
this nope. is not that important to me. New. Like, yep. Let's a, just chuck that out. A, easy peasy. You'll have a delightful idea. I have had one of my favorite things is when I have like these long-term plans for villains and my players just murder them. Yeah, oh, <laughs> the best. The best. It's just like, <laughs> oh, and we're gonna, oh no, we're not. Okay, never mind. I have one final quick question. Okay. Before we enter the light, I feel like round. we haven't. I feel like we haven't gotten like, like I've just been sort of. No, it's been excellent <laughs> and perfect, and you're all as well. Um, so uh, the last thing that I I really wanted to ask before we got into the the lightning round, the inside the actors studio ten questions. Yes. Um, Hold on, let me get. Let me get into my baritone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yes, well, I, I won't promise that I can, you know, match that energy, but when um, I was when I was working with Dusty, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, it was uh, Dusty as saying. he told me to call him. Yeah. <laughs> but you you are someone who and I, I try to ask this of everyone who's kind of now a public creator right out in the world, especially someone who has gone from like we all have from being in a home game or just like enjoying playing with our friends, yeah. getting, you know, being just nerdy high schoolers or whatever. What has what has the experience been like for you going from, hey, this is a hobby I enjoy and something I like doing to not just doing it publicly, but doing it publicly in a lot of different ways and doing it publicly in a nonprofit sense and in a community building sense and kind of trying to be a community leader, really. Uh, and and what is that, what's that been like, just that experience for you? Well, I, I don't think I'm a community leader yet. Like we're, we're moving, hopefully we're moving that direction. And I don't want it to sound egomaniacal. Totally. You know? <laughs> like but I, I, I do have faith in myself. I have faith that I would contribute something useful. So I think what it's been like for me is I am always looking for the next thing that's going to change the world and figuring out how it's going to do that and then helping it do that mm-hmm. in the best way possible. And I think that right now the world is in a state of absolute trauma and denial. I think that I do not know a single person, not one, who is not suffering right now in some way. The people who are in denial, you know, it's, suffering at their own hands. They continue in order to maintain their denials. They are creating worse and worse and worse situations for everyone around them in order to live in that mindset. And for the people who are not in denial and acknowledge the trauma that we've all been through, you know, over the last many years, dealing with the degradation of human interaction, the destruction of our information structures, the, you know, millions of people dead from a global pandemic, um, and now a fucking war. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There is so much trauma right now, actual legitimate existential trauma. I think that D&D is role-playing games in general 
I think that they are actually the way to move through this because you do not have to sit down and say, I am experiencing these things and I'm going to share them with a bunch of people that I don't know. You can create a character that has nothing to do with you or any of the things you are experiencing. And within 20 minutes at the table, they will be actively trying to solve your trauma for you. (laughs) And this is what happens every time. Doesn't matter who you are, how good you are at this. Part of what is hurting you is going to come out in your characters. And if you are at the right kind of table where that exploration can happen through the filter of a character, you can actually work through a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. on your own and at your own pace while you are having fun doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the most important things. And it's one of the reasons that I am specifically trying to reach out to communities that have been not just underserved, but actively abused Mm -hmm. for a very long time is that there is compounded generational trauma. And I think that this is a way to at least shift something in the pressure valve so that there can be some tiny bit of release. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of situations, that's what is needed. And again, it's like, it's the same thing with foundation. You don't need to give them a million dollars. Sometimes all you need is to just release that tiny just bit a, of yep, pressure. Just a breath. And then they can start dealing with all the other shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. And if the foundation can create that breath, just that breath, don't want to take control of anyone's life. Do not want to, you know, become the leader of a fucking cult or anything like (laughs) this. If I can just help create that breath in the community, I think that will absolutely change the world And that will then be able to be modeled in all kinds of other communities. Mm -hmm. So, yes. I don't know if that answers the question. It was a beautiful answer, regardless. (laughs) Kyle, it is now on to the lightning round. You have gone through the gauntlet and go through one final obstacle course. But in the same way of the the James Lipton version of this... um, I, I will try to I you know I you can you can answer with one word you can answer with like ah I don't really have a good answer or mm-hmm. you can be like ah this reminds me of this and let's talk about this it sure. is totally up to you and I will try my best to stay out of it even though as much as I like chatting and interjecting <laughs> and so Kyle is your glass half full or half empty I do not believe in that dichotomy ooh. I think it can be both at the same time and neither. I think that you can look at your glass and say, I have this many resources (laughs) and this much debt Mm -hmm. (laughs) and understand that they are both true at the same time. And that thinking about one or the other does not make you a better or worse person. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) 
what what excites you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Huh, complexity and growth. I think watching watching complex systems shift and change in a way that indicates both chaos and order at the same time. And again, that sort of understanding that, you know, I'm a child of chaos and I love that knife's edge because that's where creativity lies. And, but you cannot exist on the knife's edge without the order of the knife. So that, that gross, that complexity and that, Mm -hmm. that dichotomy of the two clashing with each other and creating something amazing when it does. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Fucking Karens. (laughs) (laughs) Just just entitled people. Just people Mm -hmm. that feel like they are owed something. I, I, I hate the phrase, I, I deserve, because for me, I like to think about things in a holistic sense, not like, you know, in a, in a healing sense, but in the sense that there's always another side to the situation. And for me, when someone says, well, I deserve this, you have to look at the other side of it. If you deserve this nice thing, and therefore you should get it. What that means is that that kid that starved to death on the street deserved that, Mm. that that person that just got murdered deserved that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, and that's why it happened, that the universe had decided that they deserved the thing that they got. Mm -hmm. So that sort of level of entitlement for me is the thing that really shuts shit down <laughs> Wait, creatively. Would you say, does not excite you. <laughs> it does not. It does, does in fact not excite me. That's true. What is your favorite sound? Oh, I cannot say it on a family-friendly show. <laughs> Good news, it's not. <laughs> um, the, the, the <laughs> my f- God, my favorite sound in the world is that moment when you're in bed with someone and there is just that surprised sigh where they didn't realize that thing would feel so nice. (laughs) That intimacy, that surprise, you know, yes. Absolutely. What sound do you hate? Um, God, that is a, I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, the sound of my mom's voice. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) What's your favorite word? Oh, there's too many. I love, there's a couple. I love pulchritudinous because it does not (laughs) at all sound like what it means. (laughs) Um, there's, uh, um, yeah, it means beautiful. Oh, lovely. It does not sound beautiful. It does not. It does not. (laughs) There's, um, that mellifluous, 
because mm-hmm. it does sound mm-hmm. exactly like what it means. Um, and anti-disestablishmentarianistic. Classic. Because it's just, it's the longest. Yeah, it's the best. Absolutely. <laughs> if, it's, if it's the longest word, it must be the most powerful word, obviously. Well, according to Americans. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your least favorite word? Um, so it's a word and a feeling mm-hmm. together. Because mm-hmm. the word itself is not my least favorite word. But the word and the feeling together are it's a sense of entitlement and the word sorry. Oh. When someone is just like, oh, well, okay, so I'm sorry. And then they feel like that entitles them to forgiveness. And my response typically is like, okay, so <laughs> I do not believe you. I think you are currently lying to me because all of your behaviors have indicated that you are not, in fact, sorry. And Sorry was not there to absolve you of this. Sorry is there to start the process mm-hmm. where you fix the shit that you <laughs> did wrong and then you get my forgiveness when it's fixed. There's, so, yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> what tabletop role-playing game or D&D monster have you not faced or run that you would like to? Huh. <sighs> Okay, so I've sort of run it, but I've mm-hmm. never run like the real part totally. of it. So there is a an NPC in our game, um, in our world. Her name is the Florid. Do you know how beholders are born? Yes, with the, the if I remember right. I mean, I remember that there's like it's isn't it out of a like a dream of another beholder? Yeah. So right? a beholder, a beholder dreams of another beholder, and that beholder oh, right. becomes real. But because all beholders think that they are the perfect beholder, they then typically fight and one will kill the other one. Yeah. But if they don't, then one of them will sort of wander off and just go become a new beholder, which is why all beholders look different. Um, so in our thing, there was a good lich who was protecting a space and uh, she decided that she needed some help with this. So she found an undead beholder. Mm-hmm. I think they're known as eye tyrants. Um, so. Or death tyrants, maybe? Either way. Death tyrants, undead. thank you. Death tyrants. Undead beholder. So she found an undead beholder and tortured it until it had a nightmare. And the nightmare of an undead beholder is a beholder of pure life. A beholder made of flowers. Oh, my God. Named <laughs> the Florid. <laughs> who talks like this. And it's just the <laughs> sweetest little thing. She's just so nice. And her powers, you know, most beholders have like all kinds of fun eye stock powers. Um, she has like the anti-magic ray and all that good stuff. Um, but her things are all sort of based on gardens and flowers. So, uh, you know, there is like... You can like, she can put people to sleep and instead of like hurting people, she'll have like a healing ray. And what she does, she's actually more dangerous than most other beholders because, you know, beholders can like paralyze you and they can put you to sleep and all that kind of stuff. Um, But when they attack you, then you wake up, Mm -hmm. you're back in the fight. Um, With her, what she does is she actually creates a conduit to the positive energy plane. And for those of you who don't know, the positive energy plane is actually one of the most dangerous planes in the multiverse because every round that you spend in the positive energy plane, you gain 1d6 hit points. But it doesn't stop 
when you get to your maximum hit points. You just keep gaining hit points until you are at double your hit points when you cannot contain it anymore and you explode. (laughs) So what the florid does is she puts people to sleep and then heals them over and over and over again, not doing any damage until they explode. Horrible. Or (laughs) instead of turning them into stone, she turns them into topiaries. Um, Or she plants a seed and she like lobs a seed at them and plants a seed in them. And it grows so fast that it ruptures all their organs and sucks all their fluids out. You know, just things like that. So regardless of how you die at the florid's hands, there's something beautiful there when it ends. You know, that is a lovely way to put it. She's very sweet and very kind, but she loves her space. And if you are mean to her, she will destroy you without (laughs) any question. So I have... I've created one as an NPC who has like helped out in a different yeah. fight, but I've never actually gotten to run Full. one as a as a, a monster monster. Got him. So I think that would be fun. Uh, what's your favorite adventure of all time? It could be one that you've run, one that you've played in, one that <sighs> you've watched, one that isn't even about tabletop role playing games. My favorite adventure. <laughs> I'm. <sighs> I'm writing new adventures like three times a week at this point. So, so I'm like, so that is, that is a very difficult question. So really it's, it's asking, which one do you remember at this point without your notes? Um, um, You know what? I think the season finale of our first season was my Mm -hmm. favorite one because they had spent like several, um, they spent several sessions collecting friends and allies in the Mm -hmm. space. And then, when the season finale came, they thought they were fighting a pit fiend, but it turns out they learned that Glacia and Lalt have been fighting over this mine for thousands of years. Um, and because it has this planar touchstone in it, and it seems like Glacia has won. And so Glacia is like essentially you're by you're you're fighting one of Glacia's minions, and then Lalt shows up. And so you've got in this fight, you've got all of these like 20th level NPCs that are sort of handling the like the gods and the goddesses and things like that. And then you are having to go after this pit fiend. And so they sort of get Glacia under control and then Lulz appears. And this was just one of my favorite moments was Lulz looks at Glacia and explains why her plan completely failed and <laughs> Lulz completely tricked her and how she's now going to take over this whole scene. Um, she just looks at Glacia and she's like, you might be a princess, dear, but I'm a fucking goddess. <laughs> and she takes one of her spider legs and just puts it on Glacia's lips and then just steps down. No. <laughs> <laughs> And literally rolls Glacia up her leg into and turns her into a bracelet so she can wear her as a trophy um, for the rest of the time. Then Sune shows up, cuts off her leg, et cetera, et cetera. Thing, and that's that whole as thing, previously. Yeah. I um, mean, hard to beat that. <laughs> yeah. So it was so that was super delightful mm-hmm. and it was fun. Um, you know, and there's there's a whole bunch, but yes, let's say that one. What's your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time? Again, could be something you played, could be uh-huh. something you watched, could be, man, I really loved oh. this one that my character played. Or that one okay, my there's, played. there's one that I, I've gotten to play like once and I'm desperate to play him again. His name is Tallow Tale. 
He is a delightful turtle with like this long white ponytail and this mm-hmm. long white beard who always wanders around in this perfect butler's uniform. <laughs> uh, and he has a um, a wooden box with him that contains like a full setup for tea. So that regardless of where he is, whoever his master is at the time, of course, he can set up and they can have tea. And it's inlaid beautifully with like gold and silver and all this kind of stuff. And he's sort of old and slow. And it turns out that he is one of the best assassins on the planet <laughs> uh, who has Actually. a dexterity mm-hmm. of 20 um, and is a soul knife. <laughs> so he never leaves behind any evidence. <laughs> so he will be like, you know, his job will be to go assassinate a noble and he'll like say, oh, let me give you a head massage. And then he'll like do that and then just jump knives. <laughs> whoop. And uh, there's, and the thing is, is that if he's got to do a long distance assassination, um, if you actually open up and investigate his box, all of the silverware that he has in there, the <laughs> bottoms unscrew and those are his, and they hide his thieves tools. And then if you actually pull out the overlay on the box, it turns into a large crossbow <laughs> so that he can Perfect. go assassinate someone well, and I then love, just literally your character put too. it back in. <laughs> yeah, he's a light bulb. And then he like bounces around all over the battlefield and does crazy things with a shell. And yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Last question. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? That is a good question. I think the thing that gives me hope is the fact that I have found a place where there's still a lot of performative help. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's still a lot of people shouting about how they love this, that, or the other thing. They're going to be champions of all these people. But when asked to do something as simple as, like, please go click on this website, they just cannot be bothered. But that there, I am in a space where there is, in fact, a lot of non-performative help that like people are actually willing to Mm -hmm. step up and to say we do want to help and we're going to make time and we're going to like we are in a space that does not have a lot of money in it so when i talk about help i'm not necessarily talking about throwing down cash but i am talking about making time in your schedule and you know helping to promote things and getting the word out there about people that are not you. And for me, the true measure of a person is what do you do with someone that cannot immediately offer you something? And we're in a space where there are people that are willing to do things without an immediate reward. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that gives me hope. It will give me joy <laughs> when when we get rid of the majority of the performance and start taking more action. Mm-hmm. But yep. right now, yep. I have hope. Yes. I have hope. Perfect. <laughs> Kyle, you have officially run the full Reckless to Talk gauntlet. It is oh, now shit. your time to give one last bit of shout out, reintroductions, tell everyone where they can find you, what sure. things they should be checking out, how to support you, all that good stuff. So I'm Kyle. 
Um, you can find me over at Planard Allies on Twitch, DMing or writing um, with all kinds of delightful people. Uh, you can find us on Twitter over at Allies Nerd um, because uh, when I first started, I was not savvy enough to get the right name. Yep, ain't that um, been, been there. So, so let's hope that <laughs> I can ship that at some point. You can also find me at um, fig for all org, which is the website for the Foundation for Inclusivity of Gaming. And um, uh, you can also find me on all kinds of other fabulous streams. Coming up, I will be, depending on when they release it, I will be doing a little two-shot with three Black Halflings and oh, Persephiroth yes. and Connie Ching from Transplaner, which is delightful. Wonderful. Um, you can also find me on Dead Aussie Gamers channel on Wednesdays and on a regular basis on a bunch of other people in the Rolling <laughs> Together stream team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just sort of in the places Around. doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and to follow you on social media to find out all of those things and yeah. places that you are and are doing. All the things. And watch me be a total bitch. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to end the interview <laughs> than on that. Kyle, thank you so friggin' much thank for you. chatting and sharing your lovely expertise and your and your thoughts and joy and all that good stuff. So uh, everyone, go check out Kyle. Go check out Planer Allies. Go check out uh, Fig. Go check out everything. And thank you so much for joining, Kyle. Yay! Yay!